The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you found us. Come on in. Welcome to Deeply Human. Today, we're talking with and about teenagers. And I'm your host, former adolescent, Dessa. During the teenage years, there's a rite of passage around every corner. A bar mitzvah, a quinceanera, maybe a driver's license, or a first kiss, if you're into that sort of thing. When I was 14, my best friend Maria had moved away to Sweden, and I got to visit her. And I remember that trip so vividly. The weird chemical taste of the salt licorice the crush I developed on a dark-haired boy, the way that music moved me, almost to the point of physical discomfort, the discovery that the dark-haired boy liked me back, which both thrilled and nauseated me. There's a term for our heightened recall of adolescence and early adulthood. It's called the reminiscence bump. The adventures, both innocent and illicit, of our teenage years make lasting impressions. We're branded with the memories of our first breakup, fierce arguments with parents, the friend who tried to skateboard off the roof, the songs that electrified us, the sick sweet smell of Swedish wine cut with Fanta. The general intensity of experience in adolescence is due in part to our neuroanatomy. We're going to look inside the teenage brain to find out why the world burns brighter in your teens. Hi. I am Piper Wilson, and I'm 18 years old. I have been 18 for about a month now. (laughs) Awesome. Do you think that high school turned out to be what you imagined it would when you were a little kid? I thought, like, once I got to be, like, 16, 17, I would feel just like the top of the world. It's like being a kid, but with more benefits. (laughs) So. (laughs) I grew up just, like, imagining that, like, my teenage years are going to be, like, just the epitome of fun. Things like staying out too late or, like, making bad decisions or, like, partying. Just, like, if I don't do this now, then, like, when will I get to? I've never thought about it quite that way, but there can be sort of a romantic burden on adolescence. Like, it's a New Year's Eve party that lasts for the better part of a decade. Actual teenagerdom ended up being a mixed bag for Piper with its own set of challenges, including some perceived pressure to dress a certain way. There's a lot of just, like, preppy, like, the pink hoodies and the ripped jeans and all that, like... (laughs) and some new social dynamics like talking to people that would like get me in trouble um or yeah like trying to fit into a group that like didn't like me and like I didn't really like them but like they were like the it people so I'm like I should try at least 
I spent so long like digging around at what I should be instead of what I really am. So now I'm still kind of stuck in that weird limbo where like I have an idea, but I'm not 100% sure. A lot of adults are all too eager to go on when I was your age autopilot instead of really listening to teenagers' experiences. I spoke to a youth theater group based in North London called Company 3 that received a lot of attention for a production they did called Brainstorm, a play that investigated the teenage experience through the lens of neuroanatomy. You say to me, your brain is broken. The play was created in collaboration with Dr. Sarah Jane Blakemore, a groundbreaking neuroscientist who specializes in adolescent brain development. And it connected the real-life stories of the teens with science that provides some insight into their experiences. I say to you, my brain isn't broken. It's beautiful. I'm in a city I've never been to, and I see bright lights, and new ideas, and fear, and opportunity, and a thousand million roads all lit up and flashing. I say, my brain isn't broken. What did you find out about your brain when you were doing the play? So essentially the science goes a little bit like this, is that when you're younger, your limbic system is at the biggest point and the limbic system is like the reward system is what we called it. So it's the bit that gives you the high, like when you're young. Um, and like every time you do something new or exciting, it just gets really excited and you're rewarding your limbic system. So you end up doing more and more naughty things or things that are considered naughty in teenage-like behavior. That's Sagan, now in her early 20s, who talks with big, fluid gestures through a wide smile. Her castmate Jack was only 14 when he participated in the play. Now he's 18, tall and slim, with curls that fall almost into his eyes. The limbic system is the part of the brain that is involved with taking risks. So when we're younger, there's kind of a lot more connections there. And we tend to... Our prefrontal cortex, which kind of manages our decision-making, isn't as developed yet. So, like, we're kind of a lot more prone to taking risks, not doing what we're told to do, um, kind of pushing the boundaries to try and find out what is acceptable and what isn't. We learned that when you're young, your synapses are just growing and you're making so many connections, it's easier for you to pick up things and learn things and pick up bad habits or good habits. And I guess that's where you can learn new languages and new talents and stuff like that. So that was really exciting. Synapses are the connection points between our brain cells. And teenagers actually have more brain cells and more synapses than adults do. Even though the structures of the adolescent brain may be very similar to an adult's, those structures aren't yet wired together in the same way. And the process of connecting our brain regions to one another starts at the back of the head and moves towards the front, 
which means that the frontal lobe, which is associated with empathy and judgment and decision-making, is actually the last to connect. Okay, time for a deep dive into the science. I'm Francis Jensen. I'm chair of neurology at the University of Pennsylvania, and I'm also the author of The Teenage Brain. Every function or thought or memory you have is like a relay race through your brain using probably thousands, if not millions of synapses at times for a single act or a thought or a memory. So it's these relay races that get rehearsed over and over again. That's the practice effect. So these synapses can be strengthened by experience. That's the magic of this um, process. And when you repeatedly have a communication going from cell A to cell B, we believe that's the base of learning and memory. And it takes only milliseconds for um, that process to start. And then by about an hour, you have a stronger synapse. What do you want from me? Why don't you run from me? What are you wondering? What do you know? This is a Billie Eilish track, as pop fans will probably know. Listen. At only 17, Billie Eilish swept the Grammys, winning all four of the biggest awards. Mozart was writing opera at 14. Mary Shelley started on Frankenstein when she was 18. Malala Yousafzai and Greta Thunberg have both helped shape major geopolitical conversations as teenagers. Teenage years are full of passion and creativity and learning, partly because the adolescent brain isn't just a brand new adult's brain. The creativity of teenagers is not to be taken lightly. But it's only in recent decades that imaging technology like MRIs and fMRIs has allowed us to look inside the living teenage brain to see how it's built and watch it at work. So it sounds like the brain, it doesn't... It doesn't finish itself like a, like a biscuit rising in the oven evenly. It's like a building going up part by part. And that's what's so fascinating about human development. We are so customized to our environments that we believe, uh, scientists, we believe that nature intended this so that your brain can be sculpted to be customized to the environment in which you will live the rest of your life, right? So all the way through your you know, childhood, skill sets you're learning are strengthening certain parts of your brain in one person and then a different skill set in another person. So we all end up quite different. The brain is the human organ that takes longest to develop. And this long window of maturation can actually be an advantage. It allows our brains to adapt and optimize themselves to the exact demands of the particular lives we lead. In adolescence, our brain is being tailor-made by the circumstances of our lives. It's a period of becoming self-aware and creating an identity for yourself. I like being outside with my friends. I think we just liked riding around on bikes and just cycle around, um, you just get that sense of freedom. My friend, she had, like, people who she really liked and who we'd, like, talk about. And if we didn't know anyone, we didn't want anyone to know, I'd be like, so how's 2018? How's 2019? And I'm like, who's your 2020? And, yeah, it's kind of an inside joke. No mm-hmm. one else has it. Man, teenagers are natural cryptographers. Folded notes, code words, fresh slang... It takes real inventiveness to have a private conversation. I can still remember learning how to say, do you think he's cute? In Swedish. 
Maybe years from now, Kessia will be drinking tea with friends, referring to her partner as her 2032. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Teenage conversations with parents, well, there is not so much subtext. Maybe not even that much text text. We, like, we rarely talk about in-depth like things. It's usually just like, how was your day? Fine. And if not, it'd be about school. And if it's not school, it's just on what's on TV. We're in different generations. Like We just don't really understand each other. And it's just a really restricted conversation, I think. As a teenager, my relationship with my parents had essentially collapsed. It had none of the sweetness and intimacy it had in childhood, or that it would have in my adulthood. At 14, I'd cut off my long hair and dyed it pink in the Mississippi River. I'd done my own piercing in a bathroom mirror, and I was writing tortured poetry late at night in the basement. And I remember thinking, I won't always feel this way. But I didn't know anything about the neuroscience that underlied my experience. Learning about how teenage brains work doesn't only help adults understand teenage behavior, it can also help teens understand themselves. Here are brothers Arda and Burjan, 15 and 13. I get sometimes angry over some stuff and I need free space and I don't get that space which gets me more angry and then, and yeah. Some parts of yourself is hidden because there's like some stuff that you you still have to find out about yourself. Could you feel yourself like? Could you feel your personality changing when you talk about like being shy at twelve and thirteen? Were you like, I am becoming a slightly different person? Yeah, because I think when I got to fifteen is when I got loads of it. I started to get a lot of attention from male. <laughs> Um, and like that's when you know your crushes start to message you and stuff like that or even just girls always commenting on how pretty you look and everyone's just like the trend is appearance and everyone's focusing on oh you have really nice hair your eyes your smile and those just compliments just made me kind of get more and more confident in myself and gave me that freedom to just find friends who were because everyone was trying to be friends with everyone if you not if you were pretty, but you just have that connection. Like, we've got the same hair, let's be friends. Do you know what I mean? There are serious changes in the social terrain, your own temperament changes, and, as our neurologist Francis explains, even the clock in your body changes. Teenagers and sleep. 
Why do they all keep schedules of like miniature bartenders? Yes. To make our, our brains want to go to sleep, we release a protein called melatonin. It's a transmitter and it helps make the rest of your brain get sleepy. We put it out, you know, in the mid-evening, 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and teenagers are programmed, as are all animals, mammalian species, as they go through to this, this window of juvenile development. It comes out later, so it's not even getting released until closer to midnight, 11 o'clock at night. It takes about an hour and a half for this to work, so you can imagine then. They don't even have the, the sort of soporific hormone or protein to, to help them go to sleep, and they're also stimulating themselves with all kinds of social media and all kinds of things. So it is kind of like the perfect storm. This is very, very challenging in high school especially, and so a lot of schools have actually adapted to doing something a bit softer and gentler earlier, mindfulness or sports. Several studies even link early high school start times with increased rates of teenage driver car accidents. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine has called for communities to adopt start times of 8.30 or later for middle school and high school students. The world wasn't really designed with the teenage brain in mind. And maybe we should rethink the school day and a lot of our public policies in light of what we now know about teen development. Some of those policies have life or death consequences. Should courts punish teens, for example, in the same way as adults when they commit serious violent crime? Dr. Frances Jensen had an opportunity to submit her opinion on that issue to the Supreme Court of the United States. She contributed to what's called an amicus brief, a document meant to provide perspective or advise the justices, even though the authors aren't directly involved in the case. So I was one of many people on, an, on amicus briefs about trying to uh, overturn the, what had been the law of the land, which was mandatory life without parole for capital crimes. So this is people under the age of 18 that have been bystanders or involved or, you know, under the influence of an older person to do a crime or murder. And we argued that they are so susceptible to peer pressure. I mean, ISIS knows this, right? I mean, they can take young boys and make them do heinous things. And that's not what that child would have been like, most likely if they'd been a in a better environment. They're very easily susceptible to suggestion in that window because they don't have a frontal lobe to say bad idea. But also the peer gratification piece is big. In the end, the U.S. Supreme Court did overturn the law of the land. It abolished the mandatory sentencing of life without parole for juveniles. Now, every case must be considered individually. Francis also recommended that people who had already received mandatory sentences for juvenile crimes should have their cases reviewed to see if the punishment was fair. That suggestion was accepted, too. They look like an adult. They, you know, walk like an adult. They dress like an adult, but their brain is not adult-like. We as adults, we do have our frontal lobes present and attached. So when I talk to parents and community leaders, I say we should give them a frontal lobe assist. Being there uh, to support them through this rather rocky part of development, which is magical at the same time as a little bit treacherous for some of them. <laughs> My friend Maria told me that Swedish has a term to convey the particular sort of trashiness that comes with being exactly 14 years old. People might use it, she said, to describe a group of girls loitering in a parking lot, smoking cigarettes, for example. Culture isn't always very generous with teens. They're dismissed as vapid, hormonal. We call it loitering when they stand around talking, 
as if they had anywhere private to go. My brain isn't broken. It's like this for a reason. I'm like this for a reason. I'm becoming who I am. And I'm scared. And you're scared. Because who I am might not be who you want me to be. Or who you are. And I don't know why. But I don't say it's all going to be okay. There are so many things I don't say to you. I don't know why. I want to say them. But I can't. I pick up my plate, put it in the kitchen, and go upstairs. I think as you get older, you think that you you remember your teenage life, but you don't. You think that you can say to your child, I know why you're doing this, I used to do that too. But the world is always changing, everything's always developing. So when you sit there and tell me, I used to do that too, you're, not, you're just telling me that instead of actioning, okay, I'm going to let you have the space to make those mistakes so that you understand and then we can talk about it. The memories of adolescence feel so vivid. I remember the ribbing of my favorite pair of rip tights. I remember the beat-up Raiders cap I wore with the brim pulled low. But maybe Sagan is right. Maybe I can't recall what it was really like to experience the world with the brain that was in that Raiders cap. Do you ever think about now, you're 18, do you think about what it's going to be like when you get older? Is there an age that you think that you're excited to be in the same way that you might have been excited to be a teenager? I want to say I'm excited to be like 20, like 23, 24, because that's when I'll be done with like my bachelor's degree in college. And I think that by then I'll be married. So I really want to do that. I really want to get there. Um, Do you know who you'll be married to? Yeah. Do you? My girlfriend. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I want (laughs) to... She's a little younger than me, so I want to propose to her on her 18th birthday, and that's wow. in, like, a little over a year, so. Wow. <laughs> and how long have you guys been dating? Like, nine months. Um, and I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but, like, I've literally, like, never felt this way about anybody at all before. Like, not even close. I don't want to say I believe in destiny, but I feel like she's definitely my person. Our culture does presume that teenage love is hyper intense and fleeting and isn't to be considered as seriously as adult love. Do you think that? Mm -hmm. It's definitely perceived as that. And I feel like a lot of the time it is like that. But because of that, the few times where it's not is really like overlooked. Like I want her to be my end game. And I tell it to people and they're like, oh, that's so cute. I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like I want to marry her. It's strangely acceptable to mock and even demonize teenagers. And we would never get away with treating other people that way. Do you plan, when you're an adult, on treating teenagers differently than you've been treated by the adults in your life? Definitely, yeah. How so? Like, both teenagers and children are treated as a very homogenous group. 
as in like they're young and they don't know what they're doing and like they're not wise or anything when really like you don't know everyone's story um so i feel like i would definitely treat like children and teenagers when i'm an adult with like the same respect that i would give an adult that i had just met like they're younger than me sure but they're not like a different breed of thing they're a human being with a brain and a heart there shouldn't be that big of a difference Adolescents are the way they are for a reason. We are teenagers by design. The neurological development that can make the teenagers challenging also lends the adventure and passion and the thrill of those years. It's part of what makes us feel so fully, almost unbearably alive. It's what makes the world burn brighter through our teenage years. Next, on Deeply Human, we're talking deja vu. Why do you get it? And what could it reveal about the mechanics of memory? I remember driving four hours to meet with a patient we'd not met before, and I turn up, and she opens the door, and she greets me like she knows me. Deeply Human is hosted by me, Dessa, and is a co-production of the BBC World Service and American Public Media with iHeartMedia. Special thanks this time around to Company 3 Theatre Group in London.